Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Steve Rosenblum. We suck, so your self-quarantine doesn't have to. Mark Grody. I think there will be lasting derivatives of this once we get through it, and hopefully we will. Um, with minimal damage, that um, people will be more aware, honestly, of washing their hands and um, Good thing. and apparently wiping. Apparently wiping. They suck, so you don't have to. They can do what they have to do. They know what they have to do. Now they don't have any problem getting it done. Founding members of the WB Club. Wake and they come on. Where's Toby? Well, I'm practicing, you know, social distancing, and I have a few tips for everybody, you know. You know, no sharing pipes or joints, things like that. The three words that describe this show, and I quote, Stink. Stank. Stunk. It's Saturday Suckage on the score. We should be 670 WSUK. Suckage today. No Steve Rosenblum. Apparently he was a little bit too good last week. So it is you and I until 1245. Of course, I being Mark Grody. Cubs baseball again at 1245. Cubs and Sox. Adbert Alzali against Carlos Rodon. And we're going to talk a lot about the Cubs and the White Sox here in just a little bit. I'm working at a little bit of a disadvantage, some technical difficulties on my side. I can't hear myself, which means I don't know if I'll be able to hear you. So we could try callers, that's for sure, at 312-644-6767. That is the phone number. That is also the text line. The text line is always working. So even if your phone calls don't work for me today, I can assure you that your text messages will work, and uh, maybe they will even be be read. So 312-644-6767 is the number. You can also get a hold of me on Twitter if you would like. I'll be checking that periodically throughout the show. At Mark Grody Sports is the way to do that. So come on in. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. There's a free Dave the Cat 
picture right now up on my live page on Instagram if you want to see what Dave the Cat is up to today. He's fine. Something wrong with my headphones, though. That That's the problem here. And it, i got to be honest with you. It's driving me crazy right now. But I am going to try to play through just for you here today. And here's what I have coming up. we got a, we got a jam-packed show. We're only here till 1245. But we're going to get into the Cubs and Sox here in just a second. Bulls talk with Mark Shanowski coming up at 1120. Of course, Shanowski has covered the Bulls. He is now at ABC7. He does the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King. He is really good about talking about the Chicago Bulls. And it is the all-new Chicago Bulls with Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. And, of course, you still have Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine and a developing Patrick Williams. And just for the hell of it, Alex Caruso and Javante Green as well for the Chicago Bulls. So the Bulls are irrelevant. They are worth talking about. So we will do that with Mark Shanowski coming up at 1120. We'll go live to Wrigley Field at noon where we are hoping to find the Chicago Tribune's Paul Sullivan. And he will tell us about Cubs and Sox and the atmosphere and what it's like to cover this rivalry when one team is really talented and then the other team has a bunch of no-names and they decided to pull the plug on their season just recently. And it, it is it is so much. As a matter of fact, here is what the Cubs-Sox game was yesterday very simply it was an unbelievable and improbable moment in the eighth inning where a 35 year old guy in andrew romine cranks a three-run homer off of craig kimbrell of all people in the eighth inning mind you and then it was a much more talented white Sox team saying okay that was cool but the fun's over. Here's Brian Goodwin with a two-run homer off the young fireballing Manny Rodriguez. Or is he that young if he's 25 years old? Gavin Floyd and Tim Anderson had the lead. Then one last gasp by the Cubs on uh, Frank Schwindel's two-run homer off Garrett Crochet in the 10th inning. And then, of course, the game ends with Zach Davies pinch hitting. And what did he do, roll out or something? I don't even remember. I was like, <laughs> How did this game get to this point now? After all that, after Andrew Romine and Greg Schwindel and Brian Goodwin and Gavin Floyd and all of this stuff, all of a sudden it's um, it's Zach it's and a four-hour game too. <laughs> Here's Zach Davies <laughs> to, to finish out finish out the game. For, for Cubs and Sox and for the supposedly 30-something thousand. I don't know. I saw a lot of bald spots at Wrigley Field today or yesterday watching the game. When the front rows are not filled up, the, somebody's lying about the attendance out there when I see that. Just patchiness, especially in the first five or six rows. That was that was not a giddy crowd in terms of the Cubs fans that may or may not have, have been there. Um, and, and I do want to hear from Cubs fans, too, on I, I guess you are actually just these are tickets that you bought, I'm assuming, and that you're still just going to the games because you bought the tickets and it's nice to go to Wrigley Field. I suppose that because there is no longer an attraction to the players. You don't have that connection to them anymore. There's really no way to have that. So, yeah. And then there are people who just like to watch baseball. I get that. But I do want to hear from Cubs fans in, in that regard and the shock and the weirdness of all of a sudden having nobody there. 312-644-6767 is the number. Um, yeah, the I, I think a, a, another good place to start here, there's a couple places actually. One Sox and one Cubs. 
and Craig Kimbrell coming in the eighth is is a very interesting. It's always interesting. Like I, the way I've been watching White Sox games, quite frankly, not just yesterday's Cub Sox game, but in general, is I'm, I'm watching for close games because I do want to see how Tony Larusa mixes and matches, how he uses Craig Kimbrell and and Liam Hendricks, and he's he's used them in both ways. He has stayed steady with the way that he has used some of his other relievers like Michael Kopech, you know, saving him for the seventh inning, and then the eighth and ninth inning would be for Kimbrell and or Liam Hendricks. So I always find it fascinating. Yesterday, Kimbrell comes in in the eighth inning. Here's what I don't buy. I I do think I do think Craig Kimbrell is the should be the closer. Like eventually, I do think that Tony Larusa should have a standard set where for the most part. Craig Kimbrell, unless he can't go on a certain day, Craig Kimbrell should be your closer. Just because he's been a better closer this year, he's been a better closer in his career, he's been doing it longer, all of that stuff. He, he's had less traffic this year. Like, yesterday was a nightmare day for Craig Kimbrell. It was by far his worst day of the season. Other than that, he's been lights out. And Liam Hendricks has been great, too, but not as good as Craig Kimbrell in, in the ninth inning. So I do think, in general, it should be Kimbrell in the ninth inning. However, that does not excuse what Craig Kimbrell was unable to accomplish yesterday. Like, Craig Kimbrell was bad yesterday. And if, you're a, if, if we're going to talk about you, and we do talk about Craig Kimbrell as a, a Hall of Famer, you can't have this whole thing where, like, people are enabling you and saying, well, you're, he, can't, he, he, he can't quite get it in his head like in the eighth inning because it's not the ninth and he's not as pumped up and all that kind of stuff. No, if you're if you if we are gonna talk about you in terms of Hall of Fame, don't give me this crap where you can't come in in the eighth inning or the seventh inning or the damn fifth inning for that matter. Yes, Craig Kimbrell should be the guy in the ninth inning because he is best at it. But that does not excuse what he did yesterday, nor should it, nor should Craig Kimball use it, nor should anybody excuse him for it and say, well, he, he can't, the eighth inning is just not his thing. He's just not equipped for that. Then guess what? You're not a Hall of Famer. We, shouldn't, we should never use the word great in your name if, if there's something you can't handle like that. So that's what I would, I would say there. And, and if I was Tony La Russa, um, and I know people like creativity with bullpens and trying different things and not just doing standard baseball stuff. I, I would do standard baseball stuff if I was Tony La Russa and just be standard. And your eighth inning guy is Liam Hendricks. Your ninth inning guy is Craig Kimbrell. That was an embarrassing day for Craig Kimbrell, not just because of you know the Cubs factor and giving up a three-run homer to Andrew Romine, but also the fact that Liam Hendricks, the guy with whom he is essentially competing – comes in and has to clean up your mess. And my God, was Liam Hendricks, like, he's he's been referred to as a, uh, a psychopath on the mound. I think he calls himself that. Like, he wants to be a psychopath. He was at, that was the most psychopathic I've seen Liam Hendricks on the mound this year. And Like, he's always like that, shouting. But you heard some of the words come over the air yesterday if if i'm the tv broadcasters if i'm the producer i'm telling those guys just keep talking don't leave any empty space when liam hendricks is out there because we're going to get a few f-bombs and there were some yesterday so he 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 was pumped up like at a 10 and don't think that these two guys liam hendricks and craig kimball no matter what they say don't think they're they're not competing with each other don't think that they they're not fighting for being the best guy and yeah they're going to talk nice and I believe them when they say they just want to win. Of course they do. But they also want to be the best reliever on the team. So yesterday, Liam Hendricks won that distinction. He had to clean up Craig Kimbrell's mess, and and he did that. So good on Liam Hendricks, bad on Craig Kimbrell yesterday. But I, I would make... 
Kimbrell the the ninth inning guy. No doubt about it. Um, the other part, the Cubs thing, the Cubs side of this is, is David Ross, actually. He's a guy I've been wanting to talk about for a while. He's been – talk about a guy who has been – lost in the shuffle you took all his friends away you took all his offense away and all of a sudden you have to go into a completely different mode as a manager david ross is in his second year as a big league manager and he is being asked to go from having really a very talented team despite them having lost 11 in a row i mean we could all say that that the cubs were still talented they weren't winning something was wrong but they were and all of a sudden he's got nothing and he's got to, all of a sudden, he's got to manage a totally and completely different way. And that's why, the, so yesterday, I should give you my viewing experience. I was, I was flipping around. I was, I was giving a couple innings to the White Sox TV broadcast, a couple innings to the Cubs TV broadcast. I took a walk and listened to the score for a while. So I got a little taste of everybody and how everybody was calling it. I just happened to be listening to the White Sox broadcast in the eighth inning, it's two to one Sox. Cesar Hernandez up, and he is facing Kyle Ryan. Take a listen. Lefty home, fly ball well hit, gone. What'd you say about power? That's his side. I, for me, that's not a real good pitching change for David Ross. Because you turn a guy who's hit 18 home runs, many more home runs right-handed than left. You turn him around to hit right-handed, and he adds a couple more. It's a four-to-one game. Glenn Casper, Steve Stone on on uh, Comcast yesterday, NBC Sports Chicago yesterday, as a matter of fact, with a little those guys a little bit of critique of David Ross for bringing in Kyle Ryan in that situation and, and then the subsequent home run by Hernandez. And, yeah, I mean, David Ross has to think a little bit more deeply now. Uh, by the way, quick sidebar. <laughs> yes, I did, Dexters. I called Gavin Sheets Gavin Floyd. Why? I, I don't – I think it's – you know why? Because I was recently comparing Gavin Floyd to Dylan Cease. I, I do think that's a good comp. Like, Gavin Floyd, the stuff guy. Dylan Cease, the stuff guy. But Gavin Floyd never quite got it together. Will Dylan Cease? We'll see. Sidebar. But, yeah, that yeah, that Gavin Sheets is the guy that I meant to talk about. But I, I do find it fascinating that David Ross has to go into this totally and completely different mode. He's kind of been exposed by by his bosses at this point in terms of just not having anybody and having to go into this different way of managing. I was listening to... Pat and Ron recently, and there was, you know, Patrick Wisdom playing first base. I don't remember who it was against, but it was a bunt situation. Remember when Rizzo was there, and Rizzo did this, like, monster charge, like, but, like, no other first baseman in baseball, where he was unafraid to get right in the face of whomever was bunting, and subsequently be able to make a lot of really easy defensive plays, and then you have Patrick Wisdom, I don't know how much experience he's had at first base in his life, but even Ron Coomer commented, you know, these are some things that now David Ross is going to have to do. He's going to have to put his arms around these guys and say, hey, on a bunt play, here's what I need you to do. Here's, you're covering this, you're doing that, you're charging here, and that, there's so much of it was 
taken care of by the players in you know in that era that all of a sudden David Ross not only doesn't really know the personnel as well he he also has to be it has to have different strategy and can't sit back and wait as much and I'm not saying David Ross is a bad manager I'm saying that, like all of a sudden I'm saying that he's got new challenges in front of him and he he has got to stay in these games all while it really doesn't matter if they win or lose but that any guy with any kind of pride, and David Ross has it, is going to want to win. And then I also wonder about David Ross, too, is there's two parts to it, and and there really are. Does does David Ross want to stick around through all this, and do the Cubs want David Ross to stick around through all this? Because neither had this is not what they thought was going to happen from either side. Is David Ross your developmental manager? Is he? Are they going to rebuild it quickly enough for David Ross's liking? I don't know, but it's I find it very fascinating to to sit back and look at a, a lot of that aspect of it. I have I have so many more observations on that game from from the broadcast to some of the fun stuff that was going on to some of the in-game things and I promise I will get to those later on. We're going to have Paul Sullivan on to talk Cubs and Sox at noon today. Um, we're going to do some Bears talk a little bit later on, Cubs pregame at 12.45. And coming up next, we are going to talk about the Chicago Bulls and the band that they are putting together. We're going to we're gonna learn about Jed Hoyer and how he puts together a baseball team. We are learning right now before our eyes how Arturis Karnaschovas puts together a basketball team. And the early, the early returns are that Arturis Karnaschovas likes veterans. He likes guys that know what they're doing on, on the court. So we're going to get into it with Mark Shanowski of ABC7, formerly the pre- and post-host on TV with the Bulls. He has been linked with the Bulls for years and years, and I love his knowledge. So we're going to talk to Mark Shanowski next. I'm Mark Grody. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there 
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, the Bulls are bringing in some more star power with DeMar DeRozan. Chicago finalizing a sign-and-trade for the four-time All-Star. He'll sign a three-year, $85 million deal with the Bulls. And DeRozan will make it three former All-Stars in the Windy City, joining Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. Bulls also spent big on Lonzo Ball. No more excuses for a team that has missed the playoffs four straight years. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Just like that, the Bulls have a team worth watching. Mark Brody back with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. The Bulls were kind of worth watching last year. I mean, it's that's when it started to get interesting, when they made the trade for Nikola Vucevic, and Zach Levine has always been a pleasure to watch, and Patrick Williams was... It was interesting to watch a rookie develop and have his his ups and downs, but now with the addition additions of Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso as well, the Bulls are officially, there is no wavering out. The Bulls are interesting again, and a guy who is very good at talking about the Chicago Bulls is Mark Shanowski of ABC7, also does the the podcast with Stacey King as well. So Mark Shanowski joins us to talk about the Chicago Bulls. How you doing, Mark? Good to hear from you, man. I am doing great. It's been a fun week seeing an aggressive front office go out there and make things happen. We're not just seeing that with the Bulls, so I know that uh, fans are really excited about the upcoming season. Let me ask you this, Mark. What, was this? Do you think that when Arturis Karnaschovas got here, that and I'm not necessarily saying these individual players, but do you think that this was the plan all along to to get this thing up and running quickly, as opposed to giving him a couple of years to, so to speak, figure it out and maybe plug holes and maybe just develop young guys? Well, I think that was his mission from day one. You know, Michael Reinstorf was very loyal to John Paxson and Gar Foreman, and those guys did some good things during their run here, particularly in the draft. But I think that, you know, when we saw what happened at the All-Star game, when fans, you know, were chanting to to fire Gar Pax, and and I think that that really struck a tone with ownership that they had to really change the way they approached everything with the organization. And when when Michael made the decision, Michael Reinstorf, that is, to go out and hire our tourists, his marching orders were, listen, I don't care what it costs. I don't care who you want to bring in. We've got to change this thing because we used to be a worldwide brand, and now people are kind of laughing at us, and, and we don't have the respect that we should have as a big market organization. So I think from day one, he was told, bring in the coach you want. Go get the players you want. Uh, we're not going to worry about 
the, the payroll as much as trying to get a winning team back here in Chicago. And I think that we've seen his vision from the very start. You know, he took it took it slow at first last year in free agency. The only guy they brought in was Garrett Temple. I think he wanted to take a half a season to evaluate the roster. And we saw at the trade deadline he moved very aggressively to turn over you know, one-third of the roster, and he basically finished that job this offseason. I mean, after they get rid of Lowry Markin, and the only players left from when he started are going to be Zach Levine and Kobe White. And that's an amazing turnaround in just over a year. All right, Mark, let's talk about the, the new guys and how they work with the quote-unquote old guys or the guys that are there still. Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine, and Patrick Williams. It, it, it looks great. does that how does that all work together like each person's role and should there be any kind of concerns with that group because now it just gets down to chemistry does that group of very talented players work together well i think it's going to be really good on the offensive end it remains to be seen how good they're going to be defensively because they're going to be giving up some size with DeMar DeRozan, who was a, a strictly a guard earlier in his career, is now going to be playing the small forward spot. You're going to have Patrick Williams at about 6'7", 6'8", playing the power forward spot. And we know that Nikola Vucevic is not really great at rim protection. He's a good rebounder, but he's not good at blocking shots and protecting the basket. So defensively, they may have some challenges, but offensively, it looks great. I mean, Lonzo Ball, when he came into the league, couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, but he really refined his shooting form. Now he's 38% uh, three-point shooter. He's very good at catch-and-shoot threes, and I think in the way the offense is going to run, the ball will be in Zach and DeMar DeRozan's hands a lot, and, and they'll, they'll use Lonzo to kind of space the floor. But he's also one of the faster players in the league. He can push the ball in transition. I think they'll get a lot more easy baskets than they have in the past years when they were more of a walk-it-up team. I think that it's going to be a really fun style to watch. The main issues that I have are going to be how are they going to hold up defensively, and that's something – we won't really see until we get into the season. Are they just depending on <laughs> on those guys to be, be like Zach Levine making the jump defensively, Vucevic getting better? We know Patrick Williams can play. It's such a great thought you brought up, Mark. How does it even work defensively for the Chicago Bulls on the surface? Well, Lonzo Ball's a very good defender, and one of the reasons they signed Alex Caruso is to be that on-the-ball pest to come in off the bench and really harass whatever guard has got it going on that particular night. You know, with, during his time with the Lakers, he became kind of a, a cult figure. You know, he was one of the most popular guys on the team. You know, you see this balding white guy, and you're thinking, hey, can he really play basketball? <laughs> right, right. But, you know, at first he was kind of an oddity with the fans out in Los Angeles, and then people started to realize, you know, this guy can really play. At first, people are like, why is this guy on the team? And then he won over LeBron, which is the key. If you're going to play on a team with LeBron James, you have to prove to that guy that you can hold up in pressure situations. And Caruso was on the court in a lot of key times for the Lakers when they won the championship a year ago. matter of fact, he started the final game when they won the championship over Miami. And he really earned LeBron's confidence. Obviously, they gave him the full mid-level exception, four years, about $37 million, which is a pretty good price for a guy that you know, didn't didn't even think he'd be in the league. And I think that the Billy Donovan, when he was in Oklahoma City, used a lot of three-guard lineups, and I think we're going to see a lot of that with the Bulls. Obviously, DeRozan playing the three is really just a, a, a tall guard. And I think when they go to the bench, Kobe White will come in, Caruso will come in. I think you're going to see a lot of three-guard looks for the Bulls throughout the season. Let's give this group, let's just say, 
this this Ball, DeRozan, Vucevic, Levine, Williams, and then whomever else core. Let's say it's three years. Where should they max out in the Eastern Conference? Do you think with this group of guys? Well, it remains to be seen uh, how they're going to stack up against the heavyweights. I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference, you know, there's definitely tiers. At the top, you have Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Milwaukee, of course, will be the defending champion going into the next season. And Brooklyn did some nice things on the fringes to strengthen that team. And if they have all three of their superstars healthy, I mean, we saw the, the just completed Olympics how dominant Kevin Durant is. He is, he is otherworldly. I mean, to me, he is clear in a way the best player in the world right now. And he is unstoppable on the offensive end. So I think Brooklyn is probably the favorite going into next season with Milwaukee behind it. And then you have Miami and Philadelphia probably in the next year. And then I would put the Bulls in that group battling for five through eight with teams like Atlanta, the Knicks, Washington did some nice things. I think Charlotte improved their team. It's going to be tough. You know, people are, are, are talking about the Bulls as a team that can compete for home court advantage in the East next season. Maybe they can if it all comes together quickly, but I would think that they're probably in that five to eight group. In terms of trying to project it out over three years, I think the big thing is how good is Patrick Williams going to be. Uh, I know the front office is very excited about his potential. If he can develop into a you know a borderline all-star type player, well, then you've really got something going because it, the league right now, you're seeing the great perimeter players are the ones that have led their teams to championships in recent seasons, and I think they're going to put a lot on Patrick Williams as he continues to develop. Can, can he get to that level? Do you think that he is all-star potential, Mark? Well, my, my good friend Stacey Kane came up with the nickname The Paw, you know, comparing him to Kawhi Leonard. And, uh-huh. and I, I think that, you know, that, that is a tough comparison to make because Kawhi has been such a great player for, for such a long time, winning championships both in San Antonio and really carrying that Toronto team to a championship back in 2019. So I wouldn't put that on the young guy, but I think, you know, he, last, he played last year at 19 years old. He started every game he played in. He guarded the best forward on the other team. He took his lumps. There were times where you know Kawhi Leonard had big games against him, and, and he had to guard Giannis and, and all the other great small forwards around the league. So it was a you know kind of a trial by fire, and I think the young guy held up pretty well. The big issue for him now is can he expand his offensive game? Can he be a more consistent three-point shooter? But I think he's got enormous potential. I mean, the physical traits are all there. I think that he's going to continue to get better every season. And, you know, he's going to be playing a supporting role for the foreseeable future. I mean, with, with Zach and DeMar DeRozan, he's not going to be getting, you know, 15 shots a game. It's probably more in the 8 to 10 range. He's got to make the most of his minutes and, and show Billy Donovan in the front office that, that they can give him more responsibility. But I'm, I'm very excited about what he can eventually become in the league. I don't know if he'll become an all-star, but I think he can become a really important piece on a team that hopefully can contend in the Eastern Conference in the coming years. Well, I think one of the good things about Patrick Williams in particular with this group, at least right now at this point in his career, he he and this was some you know something of a criticism last year, but will work to his benefit this year. He doesn't seem like a guy who needs the ball or demands the ball. Won't that fit in nicely with this group of guys where he's not going to get the ball as much? Yeah, especially in this next next season, you're going to anticipate Zach Levine's going to get 20 shots a game. DeRozan will be in that area. You've got to get Vucevic's touches. And then when they bring guys in off the bench, we know Kobe White isn't bashful. He's going to be getting his shots up. So Patrick Williams is going to have to find his spots, but I don't want to see him 
go down the road that Wendell Carter Jr. kind of went down where he basically forgot about the offensive end. Yeah. There were so many times where with Wendell, he'd catch the ball 15 feet away from the basket, and he just looked the pass. He just looked, where am I going to throw the ball to? He didn't even look at a possibility of trying to score. I, I, we saw that at times with Patrick Williams, especially in the second half of the season. He, he became more reluctant to shoot, and I think that that's something that the coaching staff has to really drill into at all, at all times is that, okay, maybe you're not the first option on this team, but when you've got an open 15-foot shot, you've got to take it. Otherwise, they're not going to guard you, and they're going to send your man to double-team one of the other players. So he's got to become more aggressive on the offensive end. He has all the physical skills to go strong to the basket, you know, either score at the rim or get to the free-throw line. And he showed he's got a pretty nice touch from three-point range. I think his release, he has to get the shot off a little bit quicker. But there's no reason why he can't be a very good scorer in this league. I think it's going to develop over time. Next season, you know, he averaged about nine and a half points a game last year. Hopefully he gets into the double figures next year. And maybe by his third or fourth season, he's averaging, you know, at least 15 points a game. Mark, anything else this off season to be done by Arturis Karnaschovas other than, than small additions, or could there be another big move by the Bulls? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be another big move, but they still have to resolve the status of Lowry Markkinen. And we saw all the comments that, that he made to a Finnish reporter saying that he wants to get a fresh start somewhere else. And I can kind of understand that because he came in seventh overall pick. He had some really good days with the Bulls, particularly his second season in the league. And Billy Donovan basically benched him. You know, he, when they brought in Daniel Tice over in the trade, he put Tice in the starting lineup after just one game. He decided that Lowry wasn't a good fit with Vucevic. And if Lowry would come back to the Bulls, obviously he'd be coming off the bench. He wants to find a situation where he can be a starter again in the league. And I think the Bulls are exploring all the different sign-and-trade options that are out there. You know, originally Lowry thought he would be highly sought after in free agency, but with all the money basically gone, He's going to have to look at a sign-and-trade option so the Bulls will get something back, whether that's going to be a guy that's going to be a, a, a rotation piece or whether most of the stuff, uh, the, the uh, assets they get back are draft picks, which they've given away a lot of them in, in the last six months or so. I, I think they're going to get something of value for Lowry, and then they're going to have to figure out all, how all this fits together. Uh, I think they'll experiment with different rotations during the preseason. You know, you look at, at the Io DeSumo, who didn't even mention, who was first-team All-American at Illinois. Yeah. He and uh, Marco Simonovic, who they're bringing over, who was their second-round pick uh, from last year, they're going to be playing a lot of D-League games. Uh, you know, the Windy City Bulls are back this year, and I, and I think they're going to get a lot of time trying to develop their skills in the G-League. So when you look at the r- roster in its totality, there's depth, there's youth, there also is experience with DeRozan and Vucevic, and hey, Zach is entering his eighth year, coming off winning a gold medal. So this is, this is a team that has a good balance of young and old, They've got some good athletes, and it's really a question of just how quickly it comes together. I think they're definitely a playoff team. It's just a question of how high they can climb in the Eastern Conference seating because, as I mentioned, a lot of these teams have improved as well. The Atlanta Hawks got to the Eastern Conference Finals, and people forget about them. You know, Trey Young signed the big extension. They had some injuries last year, and, and I think that's a team that's also on the rise. It's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be back to the days of, uh, of, of Jordan and Pippen when the East was the dominant conference and, and they were winning most of the championships. I like hearing that. And will you be doing the uh, TV analyst for the for the Windy City Bulls this year? Are you going to watch some of that this year? Yes, I'm going to be doing that again this year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it's a lot of fun calling those games. And, and if, we, if they have Ohio out there and Simonovich and Devon Dotson, that'll be a fun team to watch too. And I know that 
they're anxious to get it cranked up again because last year, as you know, they, they were not one of the organizations that sent a team to the G League bubble. So they're, they're happy to get it cranked up again. It's, it's now the Now Arena instead of Sears Center, and, and hopefully people will make their way out there and uh, check out some of those games as well. You know, as long as we're emptying the tank on every player on the roster, I did not mention Kobe White. <laughs> what, what is his role on this team? Well, for Kobe, the, the key thing is to get healthy again. You know, he hurt his shoulder playing some basketball after the season, and most likely he's going to miss the first month of the regular season. And that's going to give them a chance to see what they have with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso getting a lot of minutes. And then maybe Io is the fourth guard in that rotation, unless you know they get something back in a, in a Lowry Marketing sign-and-trade. But uh, I think Kobe is going to try to be that Jamal Crawford, uh, ben Gordon, kind of guy who can come in and catch fire, maybe score 10, 12 points in a quarter. But, you know, I think his days, obviously, as a starter with this team are probably gone because they're going to go with, with Lonzo and Zach Levine in the backcourt. He can really be valuable as a contributor with that instant offense. It seems like most of the great teams over the years have always had that sixth man who could light it up, and I think that's the role that they envisioned for Kobe going forward. Mark, love the Bulls analyzing love seeing you occasionally out at Hallis hall hope it happens again yeah. soon and thanks <laughs> you know if, if assuming there's offense there's enough offensive linemen out there to to feel the practice for the bears you know bears yeah i mean if, if i have too big of a lunch they might try to throw me out there i mean it's crazy how many guys have been going down I mean, it's 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 just scary right now i i feel bad for yeah. them trying to come up with guys that just can man those positions but yeah, now now at ABC Seven, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, so I'll be doing some bears during the season. So I look forward to seeing you out there. Awesome, Mark. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, man. It was great. I appreciate you having me on. Yep, you bet. That is uh, Mark Shanowski. He he's got a lot going on, man. A sports anchor reporter at ABC Seven, Bulls insider for the stadium, as he said. He does. Uh, he's a TV analyst for the Windy City Bulls, uh, co-host of the. Give me some hot sauce podcast with Stacy King. So Mark Shanowski, good guy to have on the radio. As you can tell, he's got excellent insight on the the Chicago Bulls and everything that is going. They are interesting. We'll see how good the Bulls are, but they're interesting. You know what? I'm going to go fascinating. The Bulls are fascinating. When we return, let's talk more about Cubs and White Sox. I have some observations from the the game yesterday, some about the game, some peripheral kinds of things about Cubs and White Sox. We'll have Paul Sullivan on at the top of the hour noon, and I promise you there will be Bears talk before we get out of here at 1245 when it is Cubs free game with Zach I'm Mark Grody. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. And he drives one out in the left center. Angle on the move. He's got it. And the White Sox win this wild one in 10 innings. 8-6 the final. That's a good way to put it by Len Casper on NBC Sports Chicago. It was a wild one. White Sox beat the Cubs 8-6 to six in 10 innings. You know, there's something fascinating going on with um, on the White Sox side of things when it comes to, to Nick Madrigal. I, I have noticed that everybody associated with White Sox broadcasting, whether it's pregame shows on the radio or on television or the main broadcasters, whatever, you, na- you name the the White Sox broadcaster, all of a sudden, Nick Madrigal sucks. 
<laughs> like, I, I I watch just about every White Sox game or as many as I can, and, and a di- lot of different ways, whether on TV, radio, whatever. Um, and they love Nick Madrigal. Like, it, the Nicky two strikes and the contact and, you know, the way he plays the ball game. And all of a sudden, he's traded to the Cubs, and, yeah, he's meh. He's all right. Like, he's probably he's a pretty good hitter, but, you know, he doesn't hit the ball over the wall. And, yeah, like, all of a sudden, Nick Madrigal goes to being Nicky two strikes to being Nicky meh. Like, that, that's what I've gotten. That's what I've heard from, from the White Sox side of things. Like, all of a sudden, he's just an average player. It's, it's amazing. And I bring that up because Len Casper, who I love, um, did compare. He did it. He made the comparison yesterday. Len Casper saying that he is made the Darwin Barney comp for Nick Madrigal yesterday. And Darwin Barney, the difference was Darwin Barney was a terrific defender. I don't know that Nick Madrigal has accomplished that yet. Steve Stone countered with he thinks that Nick Madrigal is a better hitter ultimately than Darwin Barney, but Barney is the better, in my opinion, the better defender than Nick Madrigal. But I, I do find it fascinating how now all of a sudden any all White Sox broadcaster from all aspects, you name the medium, the modem, and all of a sudden, yeah, we could do without Nick Madrigal. We love Nick Madrigal. Nick, two strikes, contact, right field. Ah, we don't need him. He's not that great. So I, I, I have a, I've kind of enjoyed that. Who, who knows what Nick Madrigal becomes? How about Cody Hoyer? pitching yesterday for the Cubs right after the the Craig Kimbrell collapse and wouldn't it have been interesting if Cody Hoyer had collapsed as well but he did not he managed to get through his inning yesterday um and just all all of the and and a thing on the Sox bullpen too what a strange year in general it has been for the the relievers because at the beginning of this year they were supposed to be, and I was one of the people saying it, a top three bullpen, just with everybody that they had, including Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster. And nobody really knew what would become of Michael Kopech. He's been excellent. Um, and, and Liam Hendricks being added this year as well. It just looked like, based on what they did last year, a great bullpen. And uh, it, it has not been. It has been average, in my opinion. And and now they've got it. They've got it with with Kopech and Kimbrel and Liam Hendricks, and they've they've got to figure it out still. And then ironically enough, Kimbrel has his worst day that he's had all year yesterday. Um, so the Sox still got to figure. It out. I think they will. I think that they will. And obviously things get shortened in the postseason, but the Sox have time to to figure that stuff out. Couple of observations from the game yesterday too. Eighth, this this drove this drove me crazy. I have to admit, eighth inning, Matt Duffy throwing error. Remember that play, like where he gets twisted and he's turning and he's like off balance. He doesn't know where he is, so he basically throws the ball into the Sox dugout. The there's Billy Ham. The ball goes at Billy Hamilton. He wasn't playing. He was in the dugout, and he was just kind of smiling and laughing and dancing around. They ended up reviewing the play because they thought maybe Billy Hamilton had interfered with it from the dugout. He did not. But the best part about that whole moment was Billy Hamilton was having a conversation with the Cubs fans. It was all, it, there were smiles all around from the fans and from Billy Hamilton, but it was like kind of an intense, fun conversation. But the cameras were on 
the damn umpires, like throwing the the three amigos, the three umpires, sitting there waiting for word from New York on the replay. I'm like, get the camera back on Billy Hamilton drawing with the Cubs. It's like it was one of the like classic moments of the game where you have a play like you just don't see that often where a player just straight up engages the fans and they kept that they 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 thought it was that the camera should be on the umpires and i was very angered by that i i wanted to see billy hamilton continue his his conversations and then one other thing too on on the broadcast this is the first time that it's been really weird to watch len casper on television at Wrigley Field as the White Sox broadcaster, like literally hearing his voice, seeing the scenery of Wrigley Field, and then throwing Steve Stone while you're at it because of his 20 years with the Cubs. It's the first time that it it was strange because for whatever it's worth, it hasn't felt that bizarre to me this year. And maybe because they're all such professionals, like Len sounds great doing radio. Bouchambi has sounded great doing television on the Cubs side. So it's almost like because they're such professionals, like it hasn't been that jolting. Yesterday, it was jolting for the first time to to see and hear and feel the atmosphere of Wrigley Field with Len Casper, the White Sox broadcaster, and hearing his bias towards the Sox as opposed to the Cubs. It was it was really strange um few text messages from the 312 unfortunately they are right about madrigal why would hoyer trade an elite closer for socks crap um okay um from the 269 kimball was so bad i thought he did it on purpose as a favor for his former team no 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 he's not that locked into it you know it it was a rough go at first with Craig Kimbrell and the Cubs, obviously. I mean, he almost lost his career with the Cubs for a while. So, yeah, I, I don't think that. But I know you're probably saying that tongue-in-cheek. Um, from the 312, to me, the entire Sox lineup is very pedestrian. Did you really see that much difference between the two teams yesterday? I didn't. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a close game throughout, but there's a huge difference between the two teams. There, there really is. And here's I, don't, something. I don't know what to say to someone that says they don't see a big difference between those two teams. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the, you saw the difference when they got to extras and the Cubs are putting out X player from the bullpen and then they get shelled immediately because oh, the Sox yeah. are actually good. And then the Sox bullpen gets it together. You know, Kimbrell... Didn't look great. Okay, fine. But then the two guys after that were pretty much lights out other than the home run by Crochet. So, you know, there you go. Well, yeah, and I, and I said it at the beginning, Adam, that it was, yes, the Cubs had their fun moment in the eighth inning, and it was great, and it was improbable, and it, it's going to go down as like a pretty cool, spectacular moment in Cub Sox history when Andrew Romine hits a three-run homer off Craig Kimbrell, and everybody loved it. Even the Sox deep down had to be like, wow, that is crazy that that happened. But then in the 10th, the Sox were like, all right, enough with this stuff. Enough with your with your Frank Schwindels and your Andrew Romines. That's about enough of your Greg Dykemans. That Okay, we're, we're going to go ahead and win this game now because we're a first-place team. And then I'll say one more thing before we take the break, and I've been saying this a lot about the White Sox this year. I hate to watch the White Sox play bad teams at this point. That Kansas City series, did, didn't that feel like the longest-ass series you've ever watched in your life? Like, it just sucked. I hate it. I want the, At this point, the Sox are good, and 
pardon the White Sox if they're a little bored playing the Kansas Cities and, quite frankly, the Cubs of the world right now. And it's a different animal when it's Cubs Sox. I think everybody feels that. I'll be damned if Liam Hendricks wasn't feeling that yesterday. But the Sox at this point, it's boring, awful, and terrible to see them play bad. Like when they played Baltimore, man, oh, right before the all-star break that was that was atrocious and there and it's no measuring stick whatsoever so they need to play good teams but for now it's cubs and white Sox. gotta take a break we'll go out to wrigley field next to talk to paul sullivan mark grody chicago sports radio 670 the score we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 